Welcome to this episode of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. I'm Dustin Plantel, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may seem more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or an HBO miniseries. The point is to use your story to give others hope. It's quite liberating to move beyond your past. Today's special guest is Susan Foster. Susan grew up in East Hampton, surrounded by creative spirit and flair. Her colorful upbringing led her to study ancient art and architecture at UCLA, followed by apprenticeships with European goldsmiths, finally finishing her schooling at the Gemology Institute of America. Susan's excellent training and technological prowess provides the impeccable foundation for all her jewelry designs. She has a firm grasp on fashion, reflected in her loyal following from global editors and stylists. Her work also sparks major worldwide jewelry trends, diamond slices, the rebirth of chandelier earrings, and buzz around oversized cocktail rings were all kicked off by Foster. Susan is also a humanitarian. We'd like to welcome Susan onto the show. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, jewelry, Uh, you're not just a jeweler to the stars. You're also into philanthropy or humanitarian. Tell us about uh, how A Place to Be uh, Me came about. Yeah. um, Well, I was a designer for most of my adult life. And in 2018, I became the global ambassador for World Vision, which is this amazing humanitarian aid organization found in over 100 countries. And I um, went to northern Uganda with them to visit the South Sudanese refugees. And then I went on to Lebanon and Jordan to visit the Syrian refugees. And during that period of time, I saw a lot of refugee children affected by their circumstances. And I really wanted to put into motion a long held dream of mine to create an art therapy foundation for children who have experienced trauma and domestic trauma. Interesting. Now, what led you to Uganda? How did that come to fruition? Was there an organization that you were that you were with or what really yeah, yeah it what was happened? it was it was world vision so world vision is a 2.6 billion dollar humanitarian aid organization it's like unicef and um the unhcr which is the refugee agency and you know they're in so many countries helping so many people and um You know, they're in war-torn countries, poverty-stricken countries, countries with displaced people. And they go in and they build water wells and they build communities and they um, create child-friendly safe zones for children um, who are unaccompanied during civil war, civil breakout like there was in in, uh, South Sudan. And um, and they create communities and they they help create jobs and um, they do so much. So I was their global ambassador and Uganda was one of the countries or is one of the countries that uh, World Vision serves. And um, so that's why I went there. That's and a, then it sounds, yeah, it and sounds then like such a unique place. I mean, they come from 
New York. I, I were you living in New York at the time when you went to Uganda? Yes, you, you were. So yes. that must have been quite a, quite a, a change of coming from the states to going to a country where they don't have all the same things that we might have access to. Must have been quite eye opening. It was, and I have to say, you know, the refugees that I met were so kind, so lovely, so humble. They were grateful. They had smiles on their faces. They were gentle. They were all of these things. And, you know, sometimes refugees in the media are portrayed a certain way. And it breaks my heart because they were just the loveliest people. And they were so happy to have us there. And, um, yeah, it was a really, really moving experience for me. Yeah, well said. I mean, as you and I have spoken offline, also, I, I sat on a board for Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. Uh, one of the things that unfortunately out in the media and different groups tend to spread it is that most immigrants, especially those in refugee camps, that most of them are bad people uh, and looking to, right. to hurt whatever country that they've landed in. Um, and that's just not the case. So It's not the case. It's exactly it. Right. Um, and so how do you implement the programs? I mean, tell me, and also like, how many children end up participating in them since uh, you started you started in it. So um, I formed this art therapy program, developed this curriculum. It's called A Place to Bead Me, but it's B-E apostrophe A-D apostrophe me. So essentially, it's a play on words, a place like to it. be me, but bead me. So it's a rudimentary jewelry making program for children who've experienced any type of domestic trauma so and children in foster care so any type of trauma in in that they've experienced in the household whether it be parental abuse verbal or physical any type of um, neglect uh, absentee parents um, uh, drug addiction in the home or death of a parent, death of a sibling, death, death of a grandparent, any type of situation where a child has experienced turmoil or, or trauma, and of course, the children in foster care. So uh, we bring our program to them, and um, <clears throat> we create a setting, offer the materials, and provide the opportunity. We provide the facilitators, which would be the social workers, not simply fine arts instructors, and they lead the classes with the goal of enriching the lives of these children and fostering their resilience and self-esteem. Wow, it's, it sounds like an incredible program. I, myself had living in foster care uh, for a time period when I was a young boy. Uh, the fact that now there are people out there like yourselves that have uh, reached a point in their career where they're able to give back um, so tell me, in terms of yeah. boys and girls, I mean, certain tendencies and their, maybe their approaches to creating jewelry? Yeah, you know, um, I have to say the boys were equally as excited as the girls to make pieces. And, um, you know, creativity knows no gender. It's simple. The boys and the girls want to create something they love and can be proud of. Um, you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and it's the world of reality has its limits. The world of imagination is boundless. And Great quote. it's so beautiful. And, you know, you have these boys and girls who color coordinate the, the beads and the stones to their feelings. So 
we um, will have about eight to 10 children around a table in a group and each child will get a talking stick and each one will talk about what it is that makes them feel blue, makes them feel happy, what makes them feel excited, what it is that they love about themselves and they'll color coordinate the stones to their feelings and we'll make pieces of jewelry out of it. That's quite, (laughs) quite remarkable. And they, I assume they get to keep their jewelry and they get to bring it home with them. Absolutely. They not, they don't just get to keep their jewelry. They get an entire jewelry box filled with all of these beautiful colored beads and jewelry making tools. Sounds magical. And yeah, thread and everything they need to uh, make those pieces. And they learn a new skill set. So they, they get it all. <laughs> That's neat. And these boxes, who puts these kits together? Um, our team does. Our foundation does. And that's, uh, is how many people are involved in the organization? Um, between our board and advisory board, we have about, I would have to say 15 people. Wow. That's a, that's a great team. Uh, and yeah. in terms of future plans for a place to bead me, where are you guys going and what are you working on now? Well, we have partnered with, we're bringing our classes to the administration for children's services. And I don't like using the word orphanage, um, but some people call it the New York City orphanage. Um, It's where children are in and out of foster care. They stay there when they're not in foster care. And we've brought our classes to them. And they are the loveliest, most beautiful children. And yeah, and uh, we we bring our classes to them on the weekends. So our plans are to um, expand our program and reach as many children as possible. Uh, we hope to take our program internationally at some point and partner with a major humanitarian organization such as a World Vision or a UNICEF, where we can bring our classes to children all throughout the world and um, and perhaps in some of those um, refugee camps. Um, I also hope that we can inspire other artists to be positive change makers, um, do what I like to call it and to create similar, yeah. And to create similar programs in their fields with the same goals, you know, to enrich children's lives through nurturing, inspiring, creative activity. Wow. That's incredible. Now, Susan, kind of changing, uh, changing notes, going back to your early days, what got you into this? Uh, we read that growing up in East Hampton on New York's Long Island helped to instill an artistic spirit within you. Uh, tell us about that. True. Tell us about the early days. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's... Um, that was yesterday, right? You're about, you're about 15, <laughs> yeah. 17, 21, somewhere there. Um, you know, I was really fortunate to grow up in East Hampton, Long Island. And, um, you know, despite growing up in somewhat of a turbulent household. You know, I I came from a divorced family. Growing up out there was an incredible experience. And we had the most exquisite landscapes, which even at that age was such an inspiration to me. Um, It was pristine and pure and fairy tale like it had that energy that felt palpable. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, It's almost like you can it was special and you can just like taste it in the air. And that energy formed me and created a deep well of creative resources. And that's where I pull from. Um, 
it just felt like beauty was in the air and all around. So yeah, it was in you. Well, so in terms of your training as an artist and your evolution as a designer, what did you have to go through to get where you are? Like you didn't just become uh, a jeweler to the stars, right? There, there was actually <laughs> like a, a training program you had to go through. Yeah. Well, I mean, I started very young and I, it was when I was living in Los Angeles and it was an interesting time because the market for designer jewelers wasn't so saturated and as uh, unlike the way it is now. And, um, I was self-taught. I learned, um, design on my own. However, I did study formally at the Gemology Institute of America, where I learned about gemstones and, you know, diamonds and pearls and all of that. And then in terms of like workmanship, I studied under European goldsmiths who, you know, these sweet little old <laughs> men who had such integrity in their craft. They're and, passionate um, about it, huh? Passion. And they just, you know, they've been doing it for generations and generations. So I learned from them as well. Wow. And uh, when did you know that you had arrived? Like, when did you know you made it? I mean, as an entrepreneur, <laughs> I like to ask those questions to people. Like, when did, was it like a feeling you went, I made it? Or have you made it in your own that mind? That is so funny. Arrived. I love that word. Yeah. Um, Actually, when I was invited to be on this podcast. Is that right? That <laughs> was like, You were kind of a big deal at that point. Huh? You were nominated by, <laughs> by Michael Loeb. I love it. Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, that's an interesting question. There's been many highlights in my career. Um, you know, careers have vicissitudes. You know, you there's that undulation. And, um, and when you have that, you really... Uh, appreciate those high points. And I would have to say some of the most special points in my career would be when um, Maria Shriver asked me to restore her grandmother, Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy's heirloom pieces. And she trusted you like that. that is quite, that's quite a moment. <laughs> that's a I lot of pressure. So, I know. I was so honored and then um, another moment was just over the summertime when my friend Rory Kennedy asked me to um, create her mother Ethel's uh, surprise birthday gift from the family uh, for her 91st birthday. Wow. 91 she and going made strong. It. That's fantastic. Yeah. 91. Yeah. And then um, another special moment uh, I would have to say was a few years ago. When the editor of British Vogue, Alexandra Shulman, was retiring and the team at British Vogue and Condé Nast asked me to design her retirement earrings. And I believe she was at British Vogue, I think, for 25, 25 years or 30 years, somewhere around there, 25 or 30 years. So that was a big honor because, I mean, there's so many jewelry designers and to I mean, there's probably your competition would have to be in the thousands, like countless there's thousands. thousands. Yeah. There's thousands and thousands of jewelry designers and, and major jewel houses. So it was so flattering, um, to be asked by Condé Nast to design those earrings for her. That is pretty neat. And then, um, what else? And by the way, why I, I mean, I think you're awesome, but what do you think it is about your pieces that make that make people go, oh, I got to have to, I, 
It has to be Susan. She she has to be the one. Like, what do you think? Is it you put love into it or what do you do? What's the secret sauce? Um, wow. You know, I, I'm telling you the secret sauce isn't even something that I can truly put my finger on because it's like what I said to you before. It's that deep well of creativity from that period of time, um, in East Hampton during my childhood where it was just so much beauty around me and beauty in the air. And it was like very fairy tale like, and I think there's something about that that lives inside of me. And I put that into every piece that I create. And, um, I I just think that's it. And it's really something that I can't even quite define myself, but I do put a lot of love into every piece and I don't make that many of each of the pieces. Some, many of them are one of a kind and then some I'll only make two or three or four of, and that's it. And how long will it take you to make a piece? I mean, it could go from a week to two months. It just depends on the, this is really a handmade. So so I have to say, this is not subbed out to some Asian market. Like this is, this is you. It's not, you know, um, you have some great work coming out of, uh, Asia, but it's not mass produced and it's not, um, it's not, it's not really even, you know, for the masses in that sense. It's just very specialized, very niche. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, I, it's for the, a certain type of person with an, a, a certain type of aesthetic. They have a certain, they have a certain taste. Now, in terms of how many people you've worked with, uh, over the years, has that number, do you, do you know the number in your head? You mean in terms of celebs? Uh, it could be that. It could be uh, influencers. I mean, in terms of people coming to you saying, I'd like for you to make a piece. How many people have you worked with? How many clients yeah. have you had? Wow. Because I, I read That's something I read something amazing. It, it said 4,000. I'm going to check my notes. 4,000 piece, 4,500 jewels? Yes. Like, that's yes. just, that is- that's insane. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, I've designed over 4,000 or made over 4,500 pieces that's incredible at, at the last at the last count i don't know what it is now that was just that was from a few years ago but you know i was in a lot of different department stores i mean i was in neiman marcus bergdorf goodman um uh moda operande in new york city i was in harrods in london um i know i'm forgetting that's a few, so but- cool i mean when i when i hear that like to you it's obviously in some ways while it's still exciting it's like well I, i've done it so it's been a while me think about it but there must have been that moment that you got the phone call or the email however it was a text message even that said we, we want to carry you in in our store that made you go yeah. i can't believe my dreams coming true like they're yeah. living in your dream now <laughs> you know it's it's funny because there was that one moment when I was much younger and really just starting off in my career, I had only been designing, I think like three years or four years, something like that. And all in the same month or in this, the same window of time, um, my collection got picked up by Neiman Marcus. My jewelry was on the cover of InStyle. I, Stevie Nicks showed up to my private jewelry house party, um, just out of the blue. And it was like, it was probably that period of time in the early, 
early 2000s that I was just like, oh, I have to pinch myself. This is just so, it's just so lovely and such a lovely period of time. It was very affirming and it it did feel like all the hard work I was putting in, you know, formed and came to fruition. That's paying off. And you sound like you still really enjoy it. So is that what fuels you? (laughs) Is it, you just enjoy it? Like it's not a, it's not a job. It's, it's something that um, you you find, I don't know, do, do you find your peace in it or what is it about jewelry that still inspires you after everything you've done and accomplished? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I love creating those one of a kind pieces like I did for, um, for some of the people that I mentioned earlier and just special pieces. Like I like the one for Ethel Kennedy and so on and so forth, but it's like, I'm not really creating collections anymore like I was because my focus is on my foundation and all that entails. But I did create a new and very small collection of jewelry just for the foundation to Remarkable. raise money for it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's a prism. Uh, it's like um, a little gold bead. After all, it's called a place to bead me. So it's like this little prism gold bead with beautiful facets and diamonds on the facets. And 100% of the profits goes to a place to bead me. So that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. I, I can tell you it, it, We've had a lot of inspiring guests on uh, over the past year. And to hear the fact that you just want to give back, that it is not all about Susan Foster, that that is quite remarkable. So in terms of your career and where you are today, as you look back, what person or persons have impacted you the most? Who would you say that has been a rock to you, inspired you, someone you look up to, or could have been the toughest person you've known? I don't know if they're on the spot, but who do you think that would be or, or persons would be? Wow. You know, um, I would have to say, you know, our caregivers are the most influential people in our lives because they've affected us since, you know, birth, since, since childhood. There's no getting around that. So I would have to say my mother. Um, I would have to say that. I mean, my, my mom was an alcoholic for most of her life and she was not in my opinion living her best self and at times her worst self would affect the rest of us and I kind of had to learn the hard way as to what to do and what not to do by her example as many people have to often you know have to learn to do when they're dealing with a parent who has an alcohol problem or a substance abuse problem. Um, when you don't have a nurturing guiding, guiding parent, you were left to figure out some things on your own. But the upside is, is that I developed a resilience and a resourcefulness that was born out of that adversity. So there's always, always an upside, always a silver line lining. And, um, life's tough. You were tougher. You found a way you you had resilience in your DNA was in your code, Susan. No. Well, I, uh, I think, uh, I think definitely, um, that was one of the, the upsides from having a mom who struggled with that. So, yeah. Well, I can tell you, you are very inspiring. Uh, you touch a lot of people around the world and any final, uh, final thoughts or final words you want to send off to the audience about how we can find you and uh, we can follow you on your journey. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Please follow us. Um, we just launched our 
uh, Instagram page, A Place to Be Me. Uh, it's at, at A Place to Be Me. And you can um, follow us there and, and send us some messages. And um, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope I can inspire some people to uh, get involved and, um, and support us and, and just reach out. Wonderful. Well, that wraps up our show today with Susan Foster. Life's tough. Susan is tougher. Thanks again for joining us, Susan. Thank you. 